You're listening to Real Presence Live. Now, back to more inspirational and uplifting stories and a look at the extraordinary things happening in our local area. Heard right here on the RPR Network. Okay, there's that inspirational and uplifting thing again. The expectations are high. (laughs) So high. The expectations are high. So, well, we have on the phone with us a man who is no stranger to... uh, Real Presence Live. It's Steve Weidenkopf from uh, the uh, Christendom College in uh, uh, in the Graduate School of Theology, and he's written a new book that's called Light from Darkness, and we're going to let him, you know, uh, give us more specifics on that, but uh, I will tell you this, uh, I got a copy of it the other day, and I on the uh, in the break I was telling Steve, it usually takes me about a month or two to read a book, but I'm already a third of the way through this one, so <laughs> it's, awesome. it's, it's, it's a good read. So, um, and uh, I'm not exactly sure how to uh, set this one up, but before, actually, I forgot, Steve, I'm, I'm going to let Ryan tell a joke, and yeah. I, you're no stranger to these either. We got we to gotta fill in for Doreen here. I'm the backup brigade, Steve, so I, I need to tell a very uplifting joke if you're ready for this. It's, uh, I, I've been reading a book about anti-gravity, Jack, Okay. and uh, it's impossible to put down. I get it. <laughs> Thank you. Thank you very much. Yeah, okay. Terrible. Laugh track, please. Terrible, yeah. Okay. Terrible joke. Steve, welcome to the program once again. You're getting to be, this has got to be about your fifth time, I think. Yeah, I think that's something like that, Jack. That's true. I've been on uh, with you and Doreen well, here for a while. First time with Ryan. So. As long as you're willing to be on, we're willing to have yes. you because I, I just enjoy these, uh, uh, these interviews so much and the information that you bring us. So, why don't you tell us about, um, if you want to tell us a little bit about yourself, but tell us about the book, Light from Darkness. Yeah, sure. So, I mean, as you mentioned, I, I'm a, a professor at the uh, Christendom College Graduate School of Theology in Front Royal, Virginia, where I teach courses uh, in church history, um, two survey courses, church history one, church history two for the grad students, as well as sometimes uh, an occasional elective on the Crusades. Um, and, you know, the book that I wrote uh, recently, Light from Darkness, uh, really the, the genesis of it was, uh, you know, as I go around in and, and, and my teaching and giving presentations at various parishes and whatnot about church history, I, I, you know, over the last number of years, I usually would have somebody in the audience ask me a question such like, is this the worst time that we're, you know, right now, is this the worst time in, ever in church history? Are we living through it? And it always struck me, that question, right, because... Um, I mean, I can understand why people might say that. There's, we've had some difficulty in the Church, obviously, the last, uh, you know, 10, 20, uh, 30 years or so, even longer if you want. But, um, you know, all kinds of crises and different issues, right? There's from corruption uh, to scandal to, uh, you know, the horrible sex abuse crisis to, you know, all kinds of things going on, right? And the liturgical issues, I mean, you name it, there's all kinds of things. Um, that, that seem to be uh, impacting and, and afflicting the Church now. So people would ask me that question, and, you know, as a, as a professor of, of Church history, my, my immediate reaction was to kind of stumble a bit and, and think to myself, well, geez, no, I mean, you know, this is not the worst time it's ever been in Church history. We've had some pretty dark and pretty bad times in the past, and the Church is still here. So I began to, to think then, well, why are people asking this question? What What is it? Well, partly... It's because of, you know, the current events and from a certain perspective. But then, you know, thinking more on it, I thought to myself, well, I think the other one reason why people are asking it is maybe just an ignorance of church history, right? And I don't mean that in a pejorative sense, just that 
you know, many people just don't know our, the history of our church or, or haven't been taught it, or if they were, it was many years ago, and they've perhaps forgotten some of it. Um, so that's maybe one reason why these, these questions are being asked. But then I dove more further into that, and I thought, well, you know, I, I think it's not just ignorance, um, you know, or lack of knowledge of church history, but I think it's a perspective, right? Um, and it's what I call in the book the tyranny of the present. And what I mean by that is I think that we are so conditioned in our modern society to focus really only on the here and now, on the present. And we, we don't re- recall our past, and we don't then learn the lessons we should from history in order to then shape our perspective so that we can realize that, yeah, things might be difficult now, there might be struggles, but, you know, good things come from dark times. And that's the whole purpose of the book, is to illustrate and show that in previous church history, uh, or previous times in church history, there were huge crises, but but God doesn't allow the crises or the evil to, to be the norm, right? What happens as a result of that uh, crisis or, or problem is that God brings light from the darkness. He brings a good thing. Good things come. And what are the good things from these past crises in church history? Well, it's reform, renewal, and restoration. And so I tried to show in the book these nine specific times in the past where there was a huge crisis in the church. Um, I, I illustrate, what, or I tell what that crisis is, and then I give the, the reform. But what happens, at, you know, as a result of the crisis? There's a great flowering of the church, a renewal and a revitalization of it. Um, thank you so much. We're on the phone with Steve Weidenkopf, uh, and, he, and we're talking about his new book, Light from Darkness. This was a fascinating read. I, I'm so excited to read more of you. This is the first book I've read of you, and I, I can't believe I've been missing. So this is this is so good. Um, I, I'm curious, like in your introduction, you talked a little bit about like St. Augustine and City of God, City of Man. I, I want to know how... You know, he summarized the historical context of the early church and what your uh, what your uh, your thoughts are on that. Yeah, I try, you know, I opened the book with that with the whole notion of or the story of Saint Augustine right, writing his his City of God work, and and he wrote it in part right to uh, kind of counteract uh, some criticisms of the church that was happening at the time uh, you, you know, because of a cataclysm cataclysmic event that happened. And what, what happened, what the catra- catastrophe happened, uh, was in the year 410, Alaric, um, a Visigothic Romanized um, you know, military commander, and his troops came down to Rome and sacked the city. And news of this sack, you know, obviously traveled throughout the empire. And it, it brought all kinds of consternation from people, right? I mean, Saint, we even read it that St. Jerome uh, wept when he heard the news when, uh, as far away as he was in Bethlehem at the time. So it was a traumatic event. Um, as one could imagine, I mean, the, the grandiose city of, of you know, the capital city of the empire um, destroyed. How could that happen? So what happened was there were still some pagan elements within within the Roman Empire. The Roman Empire had embraced the Christian faith uh, before this time. There were still pagans living in the empire, and they began to clamor and say, well, the reason why this happened was because uh, the empire had embraced the Christian god, that when the empire was pagan and worshipped the pagan god, Nothing horrible like this happened. Um, and so St. Augustine wanted to address that criticism and say, well, that's, you know, that's not true, right? Um, what, what, he, what he, in the first part of his book, The City of God, he defends the faith and says, you know, we can't see historical events as either, you know, a favoring or a disfavoring of various gods, right? But rather, historical events, events that happen in our lifetime, are happen because of the free-willed actions 
of the men and women who choose to, 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 to do them, right? Um, and so we have to recall and, and recognize that perspective, that God, the Christian God, our God, right, is involved in human affairs. He doesn't want to see bad things happen, but he doesn't necessarily um, purposely bring those bad things about. He allows men and women to have the free will to choose good or choose evil. And so when a bad thing happens, it happens because people choose to do evil. And so he wanted to set that record straight. And then in the second part of this book, obviously, he tries to illustrate that, that all of both of us, all of us, right, we all live sometimes in the city of man, which is rooted in selfishness uh, and in temporal things, and, and, and in the city of God, which is rooted in selflessness, or love of God, love of neighbor, and and uh, in trying to do good and, and focusing on spiritual things. And so we're, we're citizens of both cities. We, we need to spend, you know, and, and it's, sometimes we're, we're in one, one city over the other, but we really want to struggle and strive to remain and be in the city of God. Uh, and he tried to provide hope from this historical catastrophe uh, that happened in the early 5th century. And so that's, I wanted to open the book with that because that's kind of what I'm hoping to do with this book, is to provide that historical perspective to give us hope in the midst of some, some difficult times in the Church's life right now. That really sets the table well. Yeah, I I loved uh, I loved reading about this. I I'm wondering, like Steve, what's the right way to read a book like this? I I think the the response that I got when I was reading it initially was, "Wow, things aren't as bad now as they they could be," or you know, it's not it's not as bad as it ever has been. Like you said, is this the worst time we've ever lived? Um, what's the what's the right way to read this book? What's the thing that we should be re- thinking about as we read Light from Darkness? Yeah, you know, it, that's partly, so you mentioned part of it. Part of it is to recognize that, that things were dark in the Church's past before, right? That, that there were bad times, worse times than what we're going through. But but I didn't want to, I don't want the book to just be that, right? To be this kind of right. empty platitude, like, um, you know, to tell Catholics today, oh, you know, just kind of suck it up, deal with it, right? Things were horrible <laughs> in the past. Right. <laughs> um, you know, they're not as bad now as they were then, right? So I, just, I mean... That, that's part of it. I mean, that, that's, but that's a smaller part of it, right? The real nugget that I want people to get out of the book, right, and, and, and the perspective to have when reading it is, yes, okay, things may have been worse in the past, right? But mm-hmm. but that we don't want to we don't want to um, that doesn't obviate or that doesn't take away what is happening in our own day, the serious problems that are happening in our own day and age. So, but what I want people to to focus on is that because those things, those bad times, happened in the past. The Church is still here, right? And so um, those bad times, those crises, whatever they were, the problems, didn't define the Church and didn't um, destroy the Church either. So we can take solace in that, and we have the proper perspective that also that those evil times, as I mentioned earlier, did produce great times of reform, renewal, and revitalization. So the, the hope is that although we're living through dark times now, there will be a time of reform revitalization uh, in the future. And sadly, we might not live to see it, because as I mentioned in the book several times, there are times of crisis in the past where Catholics living during them never got to see the reform and, and revitalization and renewal. But it did happen. And so we can learn that pers- or learn that history, that lesson from history, and realize that we might not see it, but it will be coming. Okay. We're, we're talking with Steve Weidenkopf about his new book, Light from Darkness, and uh, we're coming up on a break here, but and we will continue our discussion on the other side. So uh, stay with us for more Real Presence Live with uh, Jack Canelli and uh, Ryan Sapo as they are uh, as your hosts. And again, we're talking with Steve Weidenkopf. Stay with us. We'll be back. 
Stay with us. There's more Real Presence Live to come on the Real Presence Radio Network. How can you know for sure that your loved one is in heaven? Well, the short answer is you can't. I'm Father Chris Alar, but you can have confident hope that they are saved because no matter when or how they died, even by suicide, you can pray and make sacrifices now to still help them accept God's final offer of grace. Jesus told St. Faustina, call upon my mercy on behalf of sinners. I desire their salvation. When you pray with faith on behalf of some sinner, I will give him the grace of conversion. Wow, if you desire heaven for someone, God desires it even more. So do your part to help them get there. Please visit suicidemanhope.com so I can personally pray for anyone you've lost and to get our book, After Suicide, There's Hope for Them and You, which helps with any kind of suffering or loss, not just suicide. I promise it will help. Did you know you can listen to the RPR Network when you're on the go? Just search for Real Presence Radio in your app store. Listen live to any station across the network at any time, so you can stay connected to your local community from wherever you are. Plus, if you miss a program, the Real Presence Radio app is your one-stop shop for local and national podcasts, including our signature show, Real Presence Live. The Real Presence Radio app, with you every step of your faith journey. Download it today and see what you've been missing. Did you know you can listen to all your favorite local shows like Awaken and Real Presence Live on any podcast platform such as Spotify, Apple Podcasts, iHeartRadio, Stitcher, and Amazon Music? Just search for Real Presence Radio on your favorite podcast platform. Be sure to subscribe so you don't miss any episodes in the future. And don't forget to give us a good rating so others can discover the shows. Listen to your favorite RPR shows anytime, anywhere by subscribing on any podcast platform. Just search for Real Presence Radio today. You're listening to Real Presence Live. Now, back to more inspirational and uplifting stories and a look at the extraordinary things happening in our local area. Heard right here on the RPR Network. We're live in Fargo. This is Ryan Sappo with Jack Kennelly, and we're talking on the phone with Steve Weidenkopf uh, and talking about his new book, Light from Darkness, Nine Times the Catholic Church Was in Turmoil and Came Out Stronger Than Before. Steve, thanks for joining us. Um, we were just talking over the break um, that there's there's probably a via media here somewhere when we're reading through these, uh, these stories where, on one hand, we can't uh, obsess over it, but we also can't be too cynical of this uh, of these crises. I'm curious uh, what the right response is. What do you think the right response is? And like, what are some reasons that we have for hope here in our church? Yeah, no, great question. It's, it's, you know, that's the great temptations, right? I think when, when we uh, study church history and we look at these times of crisis, or even when we're living in a time of crisis, right, there's, there's the temptation of people to say, um, you know, to look at certain things, right? Like we could take, for example, in our modern age, the, the you know, clerical sex abuse crisis. You know, people, people, and people have, sadly, right, looked at that, that great scandal, and, and it, it impacts their faith to the point where they become cynical about the church, they become cynical about the faith, and maybe sadly even even leave the faith or, or stop practicing their faith. Right. So we want we want to avoid that um, that kind of uh, that, that temptation. Um, but then there's also kind of the opposite end of the spectrum. Uh, the response is is one of you know well yeah that's bad but you know we're not really going to uh, focus on it or or do anything to change. 
behavior or to, you know, put things in place to prevent these kinds of abuses from happening, uh, because, you know, God's just in charge, right? So uh, the Holy Spirit is with the Church. He guides, guards, and animates the Church and has for 2,000 years. So, you know, the Church has gone through worse before. It's still here. It'll still be here, you know, despite all these problems. And we don't really have to do anything to, to, to solve any of these problems. That's the other extreme, right? We want, we want to avoid either of those extremes. And as you mentioned, you know, and as Aquinas says, moderation and all things, right? We want to we want to have the middle road. We want to find a, a road that 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 acknowledges, you know, yes, we, there are some problems in, in the church today. There were problems in the church in the past, um, and not become cynical because of them, but also not just become passive, right? We, we need to also work at, as we can, um, you know, based on our own state in life and based on the the circumstances that God places us in. Uh, to you know, to help reform the church and to bring about that reform and revitalization I talked about before, um, and so that's why I you know to avoid those two extremes, I, I my last chapter in the book, um, I wanted to provide a historical case study for people to to look at. Well, how did you know people could get the sense reading the book? You know, okay, yeah, it's bad. There's reform. Okay, great, Steve. But you know, what does that do for me personally? How do I how do I incorporate that information you've just given me? And so that last chapter in the book is a historical case study of how to act and how not to act um, during the time of crisis in the Church. And I take two people um, and illustrate their lives and the, t- the crisis in which they lived um, in the Church during the time they lived and how they responded to it. And one person is very well known by most Catholics, a great beloved saint, um, St. Catherine of Siena, perhaps one of the most influential you know, female saints in all of Church history. Uh, and and then the other person, and she's still an example of what to do, right? She lived at a time of great difficulty, um, you know, when the popes were living in Avignon in the south of France. They were not present and living in the city of Rome. Uh, there was great corruption and nepotism and other kinds of problems in the church at the time. And St. Catherine, you know, addressed those. I mean, she, she wrote letters to the pope encouraging him to reform the church. She actually visited Avignon itself. Uh, and visited the Pope rather in Avignon herself to convince him, to you know, cajole him in, in a, a holy way to return to Rome, uh, and he listened to her, right? So Gregory XI moved the residents back to Rome because of, of her great, um, you know, of, her, of her, her encouragement for him to do that and her, um, you know, constant kind of asking in, in, in a holy and direct way. And the thing we learned about St. Catherine is that you know, she was always rooted in Christ, right? She never made herself the center of attention. It wasn't her plan for reform of the Church. It was Christ's plan, and she was merely his instrument. Um, and she remained rooted in, in him, right? She recognized that she needed to live her own Christian life uh, authentically before she could call others to, in, in to, you know, call others to, to reform. Uh, reform oneself first before reforming others, if you will. Um, and always done at service of Christ. And then I, I contrast that with the life of uh, a 14th-century Dominican monk named Savonarola, who lived in Florence, um, or 15th century, rather. And he, he lived at a time of, you know, when perhaps the poster child of the Renaissance papacy lived, Pope Alexander VI. He was a man who was really focused just on temporal things um, and, uh, you know, was, was more focused on being a temporal prince than being the, the universal shepherd of the Church. Mm-hmm. There were significant problems in the Church in his time, but Savonarola took the opposite tack from St. Catherine. Instead of recognizing that Christ is in charge, Savonarola crafted a plan for reform of the Church that demanded the Pope follow his plan. 
um, and not Christ necessarily. And so he became um, a very influential preacher. He, we would say in our own modern day, he kind of started to believe the press about himself um, and allowed that popularity to go to his head. And sadly, that popularity led him down the path of, of heresy uh, and eventually led him down the path of, of political problems and political troubles as well. He tried to bring about reform of the Church through politics rather than through prayer and through spiritual initiatives, um, and that led him down a dark path, which ultimately led to his arrest uh, and his, uh, his execution by the city of Florence for his political issues. Uh, so we want to avoid that. Right. We want to we want to separate politics from, uh, you know, uh, the spiritual initiatives that need to happen in, in times of crisis in the church in order to reform it. And so we need to be more like St. Catherine and not like Savonarola. Um, that, that's the, the lesson of that particular chapter. Well, without giving away too much of the book, do you want to talk a little bit about the, the nine, you know, or at least one of your favorites of the uh, nine times in the church that uh, you cover? You've already mentioned Avignon and you know, kind of the Renaissance popes a little bit, but uh... yeah, absolutely. You know, I, I go through. So the the book is structured, you know, um, from uh, you know literally. So it starts in the early church and goes all the way to the present day. And, and what I try to do in each chapter is present uh, some historical background. So here's what's happening in the life of the church at the time. Here's then the crisis that occurs as well, and so I, I give you know detail and explain that, and try to do so in a narrative kind of story format. And then um, the last section of, of each chapter is the renewal. So what happened? How did this crisis? What what renewal or reform did, did uh, the crisis prompt and bring about? And so I start in the early church with with times of the Roman persecution, and then there was a significant question in the life of the Church um, when these persecutions ended, about what to do with Christians who apostatized during uh, the persecutions, right? So, so many many Christians um, gave in during the uh, the time of Roman persecution. If the persecution called, or if the Roman authorities asked for, you know, the uh, worshiping of an idol or, or the giving of incense to an idol, you know, sadly many Christians gave in. And then after the persecution was over, these Christians wanted to, they were sorry for what they had done, uh, they'd given in during a moment of weakness, and they wanted to return to the Church, um, you know, and be readmitted to communion. And that caused a significant crisis uh, among our early Christian brothers and sisters. They, they, there were different camps developed uh, on how to answer that question. Should we let these people who apostatize, they're known as the lapsy or those who lapsed, um, should we let them in, um, you know, readmit them to communion just because they say they're sorry? Um, it, you know, was one group, you know, sure, just let them in. They said they're sorry, so they could be readmitted. Then there was another group who who argued vehemently against that and said, no, they, they've committed a horrible sin, almost the un- unforgivable sin of apostasy. They can't even be readmitted. We should let them back in. Um, so you can you can understand both responses to that, right? But the, but the popes, um, and even some North African bishops like St. Cyprian of Carthage, uh, focused on a middle ground, right, that, that, that moderate way, um, and, and realized that, well, we can't just excuse the serious sin uh, of their apostasy or their giving in during the persecution, um, but we, we, can't, we can't just leave them out of communion forever either, right, and, and especially when they're contrite and they're sorry. So eventually what developed was, it was an opportunity for the, the pastoral pre- development of how one goes to confession, and what sins can be forgiven in confession, and how those sins, you know, how the penance 
um, you know, is how the penitential process plays itself out and how it's how it's implemented in the church. And so that brought about a great reform. Right, it used to be in the early church that only certain sins uh, were ones that people could go through the penitential process on, and then it was a very public process. Uh, and then that changed as a result, really, of this question and also the the practice that was uh, common later in Irish in the monasteries in Ireland, where now now you know penance in the sacrament of confession is is private and it's auricular, uh, and when you're given a uh, private penance, you perform your penance, and and you know that indicates that, that uh, your contrition was real and that you have now restored, right, through grace, that relationship you have with Christ, so that you broke from your sin. So, you know, that, that's an important, um, I think, lesson in the very beginnings of the Church, and it also illustrates that even early in the Church's life, there was a serious question that, and a serious crisis, um, that, but that then, then did produce a reform and a renewal. So that's one of my favorite times. I think another time that's probably very... Um, important, or at least, uh, you know, very comparable to the time we're living in now, is uh, Chapter 3 of the book, where I talk about, cler- where I talk about clerical corruption, sexual immorality. And, and this is a time in the 11th century when, sadly, there was significant um, sexual immorality among the clergy. There was, um, you know, priests who weren't living their, their vow of celibacy, they were living with women openly, sometimes marrying them as well, having children. And there also was, was sadly, rampant homosexuality in the monasteries. And the Holy Spirit raised up a great prophet at that time, St. Peter Damien, who called, uh, who, who kind of shed light on these, these horrible practices and, and, and uh, sin, and then, um, you know, uh, wrote a book about them, encouraging the Pope at the time, St. Leo IX, to get rid of them. And St. Leo IX listened to, to St. Peter Damien and did bring about um, a great renewal, uh, launched one of the most comprehensive paper reform movements in all of church history, actually, because of it, uh, where a lot of this corruption was, was rooted out, where priests and, and bishops were, um, you know, again, demanded to live their, their promise of celibacy authentically. So it was, a great, it was a great time, and it's very comparable to our time in some ways, and so we can take hope and solace from, from what happened uh, in the 11th century as well. Yeah, it's, it's interesting to see how you know, like you say, the, the the Holy Spirit doesn't just come down and uh, create a miracle. He's working through people yeah. for all of these various reforms. And it's kind of like, I wonder who it's going to be for our time yes. now. But I have to say something for myself, and I think I speak for a lot of sinners. I'm glad they reformed confession, so it's now just a private affair. <laughs> <laughs> right behind you on okay. that. Well, Steve, Steve, before we go, where can we get this book? We've got 30 seconds. Where can we get this book? Sure, it's published by it's published by Catholic Answers. So, the best place to go is is Catholic Answers website, which is just Catholic dot com. Awesome. Okay, great. We've been talking with Steve Weidenkopf about his new book, uh, Light from Darkness, and uh, we have a couple of authors coming up on our next half hour. We've got uh, Roxanne Solonen and P- Patty Armstrong to talk about their book. What would Monica do? But Steve, while you're still on, thank you very much for being with us, and I hope we get you next month too when uh, uh, we've got. Uh, uh, another new topic to talk about with you. Excellent. Thanks so much, Jack and Ryan. God bless you guys. Thank you. You too. Live, engaging, and local, this is Real Presence Live, where we bring you positive and uplifting stories and share the great things happening in our local area on the Real Presence Radio Network. Radio Network.